Thanks, Matt. I do really encourage you to get that date in your diary for when Wendy comes to join us. Uh, she has an incredible anointing upon her. I have um, just been challenged and encouraged so much as I have heard her speak. The event is um, on Church Suite now, so you can book in. It's free for you guys. Um, we are going to put it out to other churches in the hub soon. So yeah, get in, get, get your space booked. It will be really wonderful to have you with us. Well, good morning and happy December. The Christmas jumpers have been unleashed in our house, but all besides Gareth, who refuses to wear his until Christmas Day, the one token day that it comes out. Um, but the lights have been switched on, and I bet there's probably quite a few of us who are starting to look forward to some Christmas specials on the telly. And I wanted to start us off this morning uh, by telling you about a Christmas special that happened quite a long time ago, at the end of a really tough year. And maybe that's something that many of us can relate to this morning. And it's not that Christmas 2,000 years ago, although we will get to that in a little while. But the Christmas I want us to travel back to this morning is the Christmas Eve of 1968, which saw one of the biggest TV audiences of about a billion people. Now, 1968 was a really tough year for a lot of people. They were still very much in the grip of the Cold War. Um, in the midst of the Vietnam War, Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. There was so much racial tension. Um, a couple of months after that, Robert F. Kennedy was also assassinated. And the world was feeling like a really dark place. And people needed some joy and so they huddled around their TV sets to watch something truly wonderful. Apollo 8 had taken off 68 hours before to travel the distance to the moon. Noah currently has a slight Apollo obsession, hence the illustration this morning. Um, but the crew had orbited the moon 10 times over the course of 20 hours. And during that time, they made a special Christmas Eve television broadcast. At the time, it was the most watched TV program ever. And around the world, TV sets glowed as about one in four of the people on Earth spread across 64 countries tuned in. No one had ever seen the moon up close and personal like this before. It was so significant that the three crew members were named Time Magazine's Men of the Year on their return. And the editorial quoted a telegram, telegram which said, these are the men who saved 1968. But while they were up in space, they had a monumental task. Uh, before the flight, the NASA public affairs officer had spoken to Frank Borman, one of the crew. And he had said, you know, we're expecting about a quarter of the world's population to be tuning in to your broadcast from the lunar orbit. More humans were going to be hearing your broadcast and the human voice now than at any other point in history. But the only direction they were given was, say, something appropriate. <laughs> Can you imagine that and think of the pressure? Uh, what on earth do you say to a listening world that's desperately in need of some hope? So coming up with saying something appropriate proved far from easy. 
Um, Borman said, the three of us and our wives tried to figure it out, but we couldn't. Um, so he turned to his friend, who in turn um, spoke to a veteran war correspondent called Joe Layton. And then Borman says this, commenting on it years after, as I understand it, he was sitting up all night throwing crumpled bits of paper away, and his wife walked by. And his wife was a, for a former French resistance fighter, and she suggested, why don't you start at the beginning? And so, as the spacecraft approached the lunar sunrise on Christmas Eve, with the TV cameras rolling, after describing the desolation of the lunar landscape, the astronauts read from an ancient text that they had brought with them. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. The darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And astronauts Bill Anders, um, he began, and then Jim Lovell and Frank Borman continued as the first humans to travel to the moon, took it in turns to recite verses 1 to 10 of the Genesis creation narrative from the King James Bible. A billion people came to the end of a really dark year and were pointed to God, the bringer of light. Asked later, Borman said, we were quite convinced it was the most appropriate thing to do. Because there was a sense of awe on my part at least that the universe is bigger than all of us, says Borman. It's too orderly and too enormous not to have some sort of divine creation. And John, our gospel writer, the author of the passage that we're looking at this morning, also opens his gospel very carefully, very mindful of his audience to get our attention. But this is not just finding something appropriate to say. This is the most important message he is ever going to deliver. He's John, one of the closest friends of Jesus, who has seen him do the miraculous. He knows that Jesus is the only hope, the only saviour of the world. And now he needs to start to decide how he's going to communicate this incredible news. And the other gospel writers have all had a bash at it. Uh, Mark has connected with his Roman readers by getting really stuck in with the action of John the Baptist. Matthew has connected uh, with the Jewish readers. He's traced Jesus' family tree back to Abraham. Luke's connected with the Gentiles. He's, he started with the Roman census. And also Simeon's prophecy that Jesus is going to save many, many non-Jews, tracing Jesus' ancestry back to the beginning of humanity. And John doesn't have a problem with any of these. But for him... They just don't go back far enough into Jesus' story. He makes the same choice that those astronauts did loads of years later, and he starts at the beginning. I'm going to pray and we'll have our passage for today. 
Oh Lord, we love you. We love to come before you and to open your word, your gift to us. We pray as we delve into your scriptures this morning, would we encounter you? We thank you that you are the God who speaks, the God who wants to make yourself known, that you formed us in love, you designed us for relationship and life in all its fullness lived with you. Would you prepare our hearts to encounter you and your goodness and your mercy and your grace afresh this morning? Amen. So the start of John's chapter, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they, his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. For those reading John's words, anyone familiar with the Greek Old Testament would know those opening words of Scripture, the ones we now find in Genesis. How God had made something from nothing by the power of his spoken word. And John makes a really bold play as he edits Scripture. Now, he doesn't add anything in that's uh, that's new, that changes the meaning, and he doesn't take anything out. But what he does do is add a few extra words to expand it and open it up further. It's a, a bit like when we're preaching and we have a, a text from Scripture, and we add a few extra words to help us open it up and to unpack it. 
that Jesus um, was one of was really close friends with John. John was one of his closest friends and companions, so he really knows what he's talking about, and he brings all of that experience to the text. John's letting us know that Jesus' story began way before the angel rocked up to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. It started before the dawning of time, because that baby was the eternal word of God. Verse 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In these first five verses, John tells us the identity of the, of the Word and his role in creation. And D.A. Carson describes it in this way. He says, the prologue summarizes how the Word, which was with God in the very beginning, came into the sphere of time history, tangibility, in other words, how the Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history, so that the glory and grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly disclosed. So John's speaking to all of those who might question, well, does Jesus really have the power to save me? Well, here's John's answer. Yes, because Jesus was not just a man. He wasn't just a great teacher or a prophet. Jesus has gone far beyond the tasks God gave to Moses because Jesus is God, the eternal word. Words are also how we make ourselves known. If I want you to know me, I use words, I I use them to share something about me, to give you an insight into who I am. And when God speaks, that's what he's doing. Not only does the world get created, he also shows us that he is a speaking God who formed us in love and he wants to be known because he knows that he created us for relationship with him and to share in that love that they have in the Trinity. So if you struggle with how you can know this eternal God who dwells beyond space and time, and let's be honest, that feels pretty big and pretty other, well, this scripture tells us that he wants to be known by you. He wants to illuminate your understanding by his radiant light. He wants for you to get to share in being family with him. And hear this this morning, that God, the word of God didn't just open up a hatch in heaven and shout down to us. No, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. The word that becomes flesh is the eternal word of God. The God that makes everything, that speaks and creation happens. That word comes to dwell with us. And God doesn't stop being God when he comes as Jesus. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to have to you know, take all these bits out of me and leave them behind so I can mix in a few human bits and we'll be a, a mush and we'll figure it out. No, God stays 100% God. He doesn't subtract anything from himself, but what he does do is put humanity onto himself. He adds that in so that he is Emmanuel, God with us. This idea of God dwelling with his people, it it wasn't a new one. God had been dwelling with his people before. 
uh, a very specific set of instructions was given to Moses for the production of a tent where God would dwell with his people when they were in the Exodus uh, called the Tabernacle, where his presence would dwell. And later, the, his, the temple that they built was filled with the presence of God. And we can read about the, the Tabernacle in Exodus 40. But they could see that tent and know God's presence with them, that God had called them to live closely with him. But here, John takes that word from Moses' tabernacle in the Old Testament Greek, and he changes it into a verb, and he says that God truly tabernacled on earth in the flesh and the blood of Jesus' body. Jesus is the presence and the glory of God on earth. Jesus is God pitching his tent with us that God comes to take residence with his people again. But this time he doesn't just ask for a tent to be set up in reminder of him camping with his people. He walks and he talks with his people again as he intended to at creation. John's saying, come learn what it's like to get to talk and to hang out with and to have dinner with God. Because as they did that, they received light And we can too. In him was life, verse 4 tells us. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And verse 9 tells us the true light that gives light to everyone, not just some people, for everyone was coming into the world. Light's so important to this story. The coming light had been foretold in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. To those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we spoke again this morning, didn't we? We talked about the, um, the guys downstairs, the learning about the wise men, and they follow a light in the sky. There's a bright light as the angel turns up to Mary and then appears again to the shepherds. These accounts are all about light. It's one of our first indications the Christmas season is coming. The lights get switched on. And it's not just decorative, but it's symbolic. The lights are there to point us to the light of the world. That there's a light that shines into the darkness and the darkness won't overcome it. That the darkness of human rebellion, as we chose to turn away from God, has not destroyed or extinguished that light. The light of creation shining into the natural order and into the human conscience can never be overcome. For many of us, I suspect right now, we're pretty aware of the darkness. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year But for so many, it kind of compounds the problems of the darkness that we see in our debt or in the dysfunction of our families or in loneliness. Perhaps as we head towards the end of the year, there's a sense of disappointment at things that we hoped for not happening or things having happened that we really never hoped would. Our world, as we look out, can seem far worse. We see war and sickness and poverty and the refugee crisis. But 
there is good news. That light has come in the form of a person who is also God. And this light overcomes darkness. John was one of Jesus' best friends. And the very best summary he could come up with was in him is life. He'd seen it all. He'd seen the miracles. He'd seen all of Jesus' teaching. He'd seen his body hung on the cross. He'd seen his body then raised back in resurrection to life. This is the summary that he gets to, that he's the light of humanity, that he's not just for a chosen few, but that he is for everybody. He is the light of the world. And for John, they lived under Roman occupation. They lived often in slavery. And the people then that were supposed to represent this wonderful light actually didn't look a lot like light. They looked a lot more like darkness, that if you didn't obey their rules, then you weren't in and you were very much kept out. And they lived under tyranny of Herod, who was so power-crazed that he'd killed one of his wife and two of his kids because they threatened his throne. Seriously, you thought your family looked dysfunctional at Christmas. He really wrote the book on that. And in this mess, the light puts on skin. And he moves into the darkness and he illuminates and he purifies and nothing is ever the same again. John says the darkness has not overcome it. And he is writing as a man that has seen most of his friends die because of what they believed in. But this light is so powerful, so full of transformation, that darkness cannot overcome it. He declares that with confidence, that God is fully here in bodily form, fully God and fully man. And verse 14 points us to the fact that we have seen the glory of God in Jesus. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. And what's this truth? What Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the truth is here again for us in verse 12 of our passage today. It says, all who receive me become, are given the right to become the children of God. We don't just get to be in the presence of the Father because of Jesus. We get to be family. This light makes sense of life and says you can know God. You can live with purpose and with, with wisdom that you don't have to live in guilt or shame or anything that you thought might separate you anymore because in this light is forgiveness and grace for you. I love the ESV version of verse 16, which says, out of all of Jesus' fullness, we've received grace upon grace. He's lavish. He is like heaping it onto us. In the beginning, God brought light to the world. And now he's bringing light to your world. But maybe even with all of this, you're finding it tough because 
is a little bit like, well, you know, it's all right for them. They got to hang out with Jesus. It was easy for them. Of course they believed all of this. We can sometimes feel a little bit jealous that they got to be in Jesus' presence at the time. But friends, Jesus wasn't God visiting and then leaving us abandoned. Jesus says what we have is even better, giving us even more opportunity to know God and be close to God. And that is the receipt of the Spirit of God. John 14 gives us an account of God asking God to send God. The Son asked the Father to send the Spirit. I'm going to read to you from verses 16 to 21, which says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. He's preparing his disciples for him, leaving them. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. God will tabernacle with us through the Spirit today if we open up our lives to him. And maybe today you are struggling and your faith feels small, (laughs) then be emboldened by this great quote from spiritual heavyweight Charles Spurgeon, who said this, one grain of faith in Jesus is worth more than a diamond the size of the world. Yes, though you should thread such jewels together, as many as the stars of heaven for number, they would be worth nothing compared with the smallest atom of faith in Jesus Christ the eternal Son of God. Today, let's ask God to gift more faith to us, to grow faith in him as we develop friendship with him. He's a God that is a lavish father that loves to give us good things. We make space for him this Christmas. It's been that recurring theme through worship, hasn't it? What does it mean to prepare ourselves to encounter Jesus and not just prepare for Christmas? We invest in getting to know him. All friendships are going to take investment to thrive. We ask him to fill you up, helping him to speak to you, speak himself to you, that you would know him. Jesus has come to show us the way to truly find life and relationship with Father God. The way to be adopted into this eternal, incredible family. He's done it all. 
We just have to accept the free gift that he is offering us. And in a few minutes, the band are going to come back and join me. And we're going to spend some time reflecting on what it is that God is wanting to speak to our hearts this morning. But this revelation calls us to faith, to personal trust in him, to receive his light to enlighten our lives, to receive his hope for our future, to know the transforming power of light driving out darkness in us, to live life in all of its fullness with the one that designed and created our lives. John's calling us to surrender to the fact that God has come to earth to save everyone who will receive him as he truly is. And if we're prepared to humble ourselves and look to where John is pointing us and step out of the darkness into his wonderful light and respond with faith that we will see the living God, that he will come to us, he will fill us. Christmas is God getting personal with us and shining his light of peace and truth. He's blazing his light of hope and showing us a different way to live into our fears and anxieties. And for many of us, those may be many this year. He wants to shine his comfort and his faithfulness and his peace and his steadfastness, just like in that verse that Mez brought us. When everything else is shifting, he says, come and anchor your life on me. In the middle of your shame, he wants to shine his light of forgiveness and welcome you into family. And maybe when we're done trying to fix this all for ourselves, he says, even you lot, you lot still come because I have come. So you come to me. The light has come. The one who came down into the mess all of those years ago wants to come into the mess and the brokenness and the hurting of our lives too. The only one who can restore and to redeem and offer hope that is certain, says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness. Will you choose to follow Jesus today? To choose to undertake friendship and adventure. And maybe that's for the first time and maybe that is for the hundredth time but the invitation is there. Will you accept it? I'm going to pray just as the band come back to join me. And we're going to spend a few moments listening out to what God might want to speak to us this morning. The things that perhaps Holy Spirit wants to come and stir our hearts upon. The ways that he wants to reveal himself to us. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the hope in the darkness. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We pray, will you come close to our hearts this morning? Will you come into our, our hopes, our dreams, our, our disappointments, the things 
that our hearts are longing for that we need to seek your will in. The things that we need to surrender to you. Will you come into our shame and help us see that you have forgiveness and a fresh start for us? That your blood has covered all of those things and we are welcome with you. Will you bring your light into us this Christmas time? Flood our lives with it, we pray. And Father, we thank you for John's message. We thank you that he reminded us that so many didn't recognize him. But to those who do, he gives the right to become the children of God. Lord, we, we want to live life as your children. We thank you for that incredible offer. We want to see you today. We want to recognize your light. We want to be welcomed into family with you. Lord, we love to hear your voice, to feel your comfort and your peace. We pray, come and be with us now, Lord. I just invite you just to maybe open up your hands like we do when we receive a gift. And in part, that is to maybe surrender some of the things that we are holding on to that we just need to let go of and let God move in. And have them ready to receive what God wants to give to you, knowing that he loves to pour out his spirit lavishly and in abundance on all those who ask for him to come and to draw near and to fill us. Holy Spirit, we say you are welcome here. Would you help us to know you better? Would you help us to understand scripture better? Would you help us to understand the purpose of our lives more? Would you give us wisdom? Would you enlighten our hearts where they are heavy? Will you shine your light in that we might truly understand what it is to be loved by you beyond measure? Loved so much that you would come down and get involved in the mess so that you could save us and bring us into family with you again. God, we thank you that you are generous. We pray, come and meet with us now.